and welcome to Scotland's Choice Weekly Westminster Roundup. With me, Kirsty Blackman, MP, and... And me, Drew Hendry, MP. It's been another uh, busy week in Westminster, and we'll take a look at the Independence Convention that has just been held in Dundee, and we'll talk about some of the debates that are happening in Parliament, as well as what can be can only be described as a fiery, fiery and even, uh, PMQ exchange, or should I say, Deputy PMQ exchange. But first, um, we'll introduce our guest, who will chat through the week with us, as well as telling us about a campaign that she's been working on. Hi, Amy. Hey, Amy Callahan, MP for Eastern Berkshire here, also champion of sunscreen at Westminster. And uh, of course, they, they, before we get to the sunscreen and uh, what was going on at Westminster, I think it's only right for us to have a wee chat about the Independence Convention uh, that was held in Dundee. And certainly our first kind of major outing for uh, Hamza Yousaf as uh, leader and, uh, you know, very, very uh, interesting way he handled what could have been a really difficult disruption for any other person, yeah? Yeah, indeed. I mean, you know, when he first started in the role, I think a lot of people were wondering how it would go. I think those of us that knew him had a lot of confidence in him. Um, But, you know, actually, he seems to have grown in the role incredibly quickly, if you see what I mean. He's, you know, very much the First Minister of Scotland now and the leader of the SNP. And uh, it seems like a um, a very grown-up politician and the kind of sensible person to be doing the job it's quite exciting actually i think and and amy what what did you think of what he had to say and indeed you know what the 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 conference itself or the convention itself what were your thoughts on it i think broadly similar to the two of you in that the disruption certainly showed just how good hamza is and how well suited to the role he is i think in terms of a strategy for independence it's um it's welcome it's something that i can can get on board behind and I think a lot of activists and folk that I'm talking to can get on board with as well so it's mm-hmm. a good place to be in I would say and it, you you certainly got that feeling of kind of renewed excitement and you know and and commitment because I mean let's face it what all the uh, people who are uh, hardcore unionists what the Westminster parties want us to do is they want us to kind of give up we've had a difficult time what they would really like us to do now is to say oh Christ too much hard work we're not going to do that but you never got that feeling for a second at the convention that there was any lack of uh, conviction and determination to uh, take this forward particularly when you look at uh, the opportunities for social well-being and for you know a better a better and fairer economy under independence yeah absolutely our, our opponents win when we fight with ourselves but i got a really like renewed sense of like vigor and folk like determined to get out i had a huge amount of activists out on the doors for me on saturday um for a national day of action and i think that was probably good timing coming straight from the the independence convention with people full of that sort of fire in their belly from a very very useful discussion hmm. I'm quite excited as well about some of the, you know, more internal conversations within the SNP about the regional work that's going to be happening, about the uh, national councils that are coming back. I know that sounds like really dry, but actually, you know, we need to spend time with each other discussing the way forward. We need to spend time in order to get that kind of G'd upness, in order to get, you know, to, to sit in a room with like-minded people and um, talk about that. Uh, kind of vision as well you know as well as the the weight to that vision but I think sometimes um, 
sometimes there's been times when I've not been able to go to conferences and stuff like that, particularly when I was a bit younger. And I felt like I really missed that, um, you know, mm-hmm. getting that wee boost that you get from uh, spending time together discussing the best way forward. Yeah, it, it was um, it, it was great to see people. I think we all forget it's been quite a long time since we've been able to get together because of the pandemic and you know the the restrictions that we were all under in terms of looking after each other, making sure we weren't passing things on. So all of our conferences and everything up until now have pretty much been uh, virtual um, things, and this was it was really really good to get people together in the room. You know, and just the the get the atmosphere and the 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 the, the kind of collective feeling of determination. Yeah, I think it was a you know a great way for uh, Hamza to sort of um, detail his leadership and you know be clear again about what what he intends to do as leader of the SNP and actually to sort of um, I think almost kickstart a, a general election campaign. You know, thinking about the next general election, thinking about. What, what, what do we need to do between now and then um, about getting out on the doors? I think it was kind of just just the right moment to do it, it felt like. And, and Amy, it's pretty clear that having been faced with a democratic deficit of the, you know, the Tories refusing to uh, to allow a Section 30 order to have a referendum, that, you know, now what we need to do is obviously take this back to uh, the doorsteps for the next election and I think the idea of saying look you know we're out to win this election our manifesto is going to be um, about independence and the benefits that independence can bring um, and and we'll look at you know if you want to play by Westminster rules that's fine we win this election that's what you're faced with how are you going to uh, deal with that that seems like a fairly straightforward way I know people are trying to twist it around and make it more complicated but it's a fairly straightforward proposition isn't it I would say so Drew yeah I think once I've always been convinced that once we've sort of won over the majority of hearts and minds on the doorsteps that's how we win our independence and I think that's certainly the route that we're going on we've got a sustained majority just now just not quite enough yet I think us having these conversations on the doorsteps is the way that we're going to we're going to get there and Westminster can't keep denying democracy mm-hmm. and um, obviously that was the the kind of big event of uh, you know, as we're recording this now, a couple of weeks ago, there's been a lot of other things that have um, happened in the interim, and one of them is uh, the loss of a, an icon of the independence movement, Kirsty. Yeah, an absolute hero of the independence movement. We um, lost Winnie Ewing uh, relatively recently, and um, Ian Blackford was able to secure a debate in Parliament uh, about her. It wasn't a debate; people weren't arguing, you know, in, mm. in that way. But it was it was a really good opportunity for so many people to come together and talk about their memories of Winnie and what she's meant to the movement and the and we forget, you know, because. You know, especially newer mm-hmm. members to the SNP or younger people forget what it was like to have so, f- you know, to have nobody in Parliament, to have so few people in Parliament, to have her smashing that glass ceiling and becoming a female MP in 1967. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The atmosphere that she stepped into when she started in Parliament, you know, I mean, it is still a toxic culture today, as we'll maybe come on to reference later. But but the fact that she had to step into it then when there were so few women and, you know, was just an absolute genuine hero. And like I've not um, I don't know how I ever spend much time with her, but everybody that has has got a 
hilarious and heartwarming story <laughs> about her. I think. And, and it was it was a very touching tribute um, from from round the chamber. I, I think we had contributions from the DUP uh, praising yep. her. We had contributions from uh, the Lib Dems. We we even had the Tories. Uh, you know, saying how iconic she was, and and the uh, deputy speaker made a very heartfelt uh, contribution as well. It, it was it was a shame that Labour didn't send anyone to uh, to say anything, but but I don't want to take away from it by that. Um, I think it you know it was clear that people understood how important you know she was in in historical parliamentary terms as well as does. You know when we're uh, yeah. you know in the SNP and as we look to to independence, it, you know it it it, it was really a, a kind of touching things. But you talked about being a lone woman MP. Um, of course, anybody that's read her book knows that you know it was fairly horrific for her. Um, you know the um, and very very uh, ominously intimidating in the corridors of Westminster as she made her way around. You know without any backup, we're lucky. We've we've got a group. Um, that you know we can look to support each other with, but uh, but she was on her own. But on that, we think how we think how um, difficult it still is, and how toxic the atmosphere still is. Mm. Like you know, rewind back to '67 and imagine how horrendous it was then. It's just it's unfathomable to be honest with you. I find it really hard being here sometimes with how <laughs> difficult the atmosphere can be. Never well, mind how how Winnie felt. Well, as Kirsty said, I think we'll we'll talk about that in just a wee minute. But Absolutely. since you're talking now, Amy, it'd be really good to um, hear about your campaign. That's uh, that's obviously really relevant to uh, to the period we're in now in summer, and we've had you know a fantastic June. Uh, July's maybe not performing to the same level, but you know a lot of sun about. Tell us about your campaign. Absolutely. So my campaign is called Vatburn and it's about um, asking the UK government to reform the VAT charge to sunscreen products. It, sunscreen falls out of line with most other healthcare products and that VAT's charged on it. And um, recent research from, from melanoma um, based to focus charity, Melanoma Focus, has shown that two thirds of people would um, buy sunscreen more regularly if it was more affordable and that's what removing the VAT would do. It's really important that we're reducing the number of instances of skin cancer, whether that be melanoma or non-melanoma skin cancer, and just making sunscreen more affordable so that more people wear it. It is incredibly expensive to buy sunscreen. I mean, yeah, you're talking you know, £7, £8 a bottle. It's pretty outrageous, actually. And yeah. the, the UK government's line to me thus far has been, will people get it on prescription? I've had melanoma twice. I get it on prescription but it's, it then comes after the diagnosis. It's yeah. not a preventative measure on the NHS. So it actually makes me shake my head just like you are it's, when it's, I hear that line. It's absolutely meant to be a preventative measure. And people might kind of like, you, you know, not think about the campaign too seriously because it's sunscreen, you know, aren't there other things? That, but actually you've nailed the, the thing in the head there with the, the, the fact that this is about preventing um, you know, harm to particularly to, to children and other vulnerable people at a time when there's a cost of living crisis, and yeah, uh, you know, and people are, are out and about, and, and it's remarkably easy to get uh, to get burnt, and of course, if you get burnt, you're much more likely to l- have problems yep. later mm-hmm. on. And so, I mean, a number of people have said to me, kind of over the course of a few years since since my diagnosis, oh, it's just skin cancer, mm. skin cancer. Skin cancer kills over 2,000 people each year in the UK. It metastasizes to other organs, and it's something that I wouldn't wish on anyone. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, my um, my daughter has got blonde hair and blue eyes and incredibly, you know, that kind of Scottish pale blue skin um, mm. that, you know, once she, she needs to go out in the sun for a bit before she turns even white. Um, mine, basically then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she's got that kind of skin, so she absolutely needs to be clarted and factor 50 all of the time. I mean, you know, and, and by the time, you know, she's small, she's nine, right? But mm. even by the time that she's covered in it as regularly as she should be, you're going through bottles and bottles of the stuff. It's unbelievable. Yep. And what's, what's so the, that, for, for those people who might not know, I think most people will have bought this stuff, but, you know, what we're talking about in terms of cost for a, a you know, bottle of Factor 50, small bottle so of So you're factor talking 50. about seven, eight pounds a bottle. Yeah. So the saving can be can be quite substantial mm-hmm. for, for families. And when you look at VAT um, in general and how the government applies it to products, mm-hmm. they've removed it from smoking cessation products, which tends to help one person in a family, but sunscreen products helps an entire family. Of course. And yeah. um, the cost is actually quite quite astronomical when you consider that. So where are things, Amy? Are you, um, how are things going with the campaign? <laughs> so, I mean, I wouldn't say they're going particularly great. I've done, went down kind of every avenue uh, thus far, apart from winning the parliamentary lottery and getting a private member's bill. That is probably the thing that everyone would love when they've got a campaign like this, but I'm not there yet. Well, it, uh, it, I've taken it to the UK government in, in kind of numerous forms via debates, via a 10-minute rule bill. And I've even taken the campaign to Holyrood where, where our colleague Jackie Dunbar uh, laid a debate for me on Fatburn, which was, which was brilliant. Got cross-party support here in the House of Commons, cross-party support in the Scottish Parliament. It's a non-political, non-partisan mm-hmm. issue that I think everyone should be getting on board with. And I've got three melanoma surviving MPs who are co-sponsors of my bill, which I think is a really powerful message to Indeed. send mm-hmm. to send to the UK government. They shouldn't be ignoring the voice of survivors. Yeah. yeah, and it, it is pretty typical. I think for anybody who might think, you know, this this looks like a simple thing. It's got cross party support. Why doesn't it move forward? I always yep. tell people about the fact that when I first started at Parliament, I went on the campaign to try and get uh, terminally ill people access to their benefits without having to prove that they would die within six months. And even the government were accepting that was something that should, you know, be, you know, changed. Ultimately, after eight years, we ended up getting a change, but they moved it from six months to 12 months. It really is glacial, you know, sometimes trying to get these things through Parliament. And, you know, I really feel for having tried all those avenues. It's not not the easiest of things. And I think, like, we in the SNP are really good at championing these sort of unsexy issues. That other people maybe wouldn't want to touch, mm-hmm. but we're we're quite dedicated and committed to making sure we see these these uh, changes happen for people. Indeed, indeed. Well, it- and the Scottish, but just 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 to say this, sure. the SNP Scottish government has got different rules in terms of um, terminal illness with the um, disability payments that they make. Um, there are different rules about making it more easy for people to access the adult disability payments, that is yeah. specifically. Um, but obviously we don't have control of most of the benefits, but we have taken on board your, uh, some of the suggestions there, Drew, about the terminal illness. But obviously we also don't have control of VAT. Exactly. Um, and the mm. tragedy is incredibly intransigent and difficult mm. to deal with. Indeed. Yeah, and that's um, going to be the next stage of the campaign, Kirsty, is that I, is that I'm still continually hitting a brick wall. It's going to be about devolving the, the powers of VAT to the Scottish Parliament as a sort of interim solution until we get our independence. Of course. Well, it, you, Amy, you you were obviously in uh, in Prime Minister's questions this week, um, mm-hmm. or Deputy Prime Minister's questions. Fiery? 
very fiery. I think the fieriest um, Prime Minister's questions are DPMQs that we've seen in a good few weeks, actually. And I think we, we all know who came out on top of that with um, <laughs> some, some wry humour. <laughs> Did you think of Mary's performance? I thought she'd done brilliantly. You can see me jiggling behind her in the video from it, so I bet you can tell how, how funny I found her, her performance. And I think that's something that political commentators have noted, is that it's very hard in politics to get some like real like off the cuff humour, yeah. and that's what we've seen from from Mary Black this week. And I think we're all all kind of in awe of how how well she performed. And just for those who haven't seen it, and please go back and watch it if you're listening, it's yeah. worth doing. Um, basically, she was responding to Oliver Dowden, who's the deputy prime minister, and uh, pointed out that since she's uh, said that she's not going to stand in the ne- next election that they they were both elected at the same time and she reckoned they'd both be leaving parliament at the same time as well yeah so um but um yeah it, i i mean once again rishi sunak not there um you know we, we had uh, mary black very much there i was out in the doors uh, before recording uh, this this afternoon and people were talking about mary no uh, no longer being in Parliament, and uh, it's one of these things where she's um, she's an incredibly charismatic um, and able uh, politician, and as we've just heard, good at thinking on her feet, fantastic orator, um, you know, pretty much all round awesome, everything you'd want, and even political foes and opponents recognise that. But of course, you know, she's she's very clear she's leaving because of the toxic culture. I, I mean, it is it is a toxic culture. It is a really difficult place to work. You know, you're, I mean, you're away from home. You're far away, particularly for us in Scotland. We're really far away from Westminster, no matter which seat we represent in Scotland. It's a long way to get there. You're away from everybody that, you know, your, your normal support network and stuff like that. And you're just in this place where people are just nasty. And, you know, they're, they're just going out of their way to... Um, put themselves first and seek power and you know I think Maddie's comment about not knowing the motivations behind people having conversations with her was really really telling that was one of the things that she said she said you know you can't tell if somebody's having a conversation with you because they're being nice or they're having a conversation with you because they're trying to get something out of you Mm. and so you're constantly on your guard and it's just really really tiring Mm. And especially for somebody like, I mean, you're both very, very young in comparison to me, that's for certain. But, you know, when you think about Mary being elected at the age of 20 and, uh, you know, and immediately taking flack for, you know, teenage social media stuff, which which is nothing. Um, and then, you know, having to deal with, the, the, you know, this intense spotlight. And as you say, not being able to kind of have a normal kind of, life in terms of being a 20 year old it's a particular time she's been real you know people you know shouldn't underestimate how strong she's been to uh to to be able to operate in the way she's done over that period of time absolutely i don't think anyone can take for granted how how challenging it must have been to spend basically the best part of your 20s in in this place which is so toxic and just full of people oozing with privilege coming from working class backgrounds like many of us do it genuinely does still surprise me how much folk here just reek of privilege Indeed. and expect so much. It's, it's genuinely baffling. 
you're, you're even just like low level low level stuff like you hold a door open for somebody and they just sort of stride past you and it's like I mean it doesn't cost anything to say thank you or you, know, you ask someone how you're doing today and they say good <laughs> that's right yeah Damn just the like basic that. just the basic human stuff yeah, yeah. I, by, by the way talking about the basic human stuff I'm disappointed neither of you uh, argued with me when I said I was much older than you guys uh, but uh, thanks for oh, that oh sorry Drew thanks, oh, that, was, that, was our, that was our moment you were, you were setting us up I should have said something like oh I'm probably like halfway in between you guys or something like exactly that you so. know maybe we should uh, just deny like basic biology here shouldn't we <laughs> thanks for that Amy I'll remember <laughs> so you know, so Mary Black, um, you know, obviously, a, you know, a deputy leader at uh, Westminster. I, I think it's important to talk about, um, you know, the, the the work she's been doing with Stephen in terms of, you know, kind of putting because they're both um, young people, both um, been asked to. Uh, rise to a level that uh, you know it, it creates that has a lot of pressure in it. Um, both of them are doing particularly well. Stephen, um, you know, it, it is great at PMQs every week. As we see, Mary Black's been able to step in and do the same kind of job. It, it's great from a, from our point of view when we're sitting on the benches behind watching them, isn't it? It really is, and they're just they're both so sharp. Like they've got this kind of ability to respond in the moment that mm. I just don't have, you know. Like I, I like to think I can um, give speeches and and stuff like that and do a not bad job at that. But that kind of quick response stuff, mm-hmm. um, I just I just don't have that in me, and it's just amazing. To, it's like a real masterclass watching them, um, mm. either of them performing like that. It, it it is indeed, and so you know we, we've 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 got a, a few colleagues who are uh, who are not standing at the next election, um, but the vast majority of uh, of our group look as though they're going to run. But the but the where they're running is going to be an interesting thing because also in the past uh, week we've had the uh, boundary uh, commission. Uh, final recommendations come out, which basically means that's what it is, because they're not going to uh, come back to us again. Um, you know, Amy, what was your view of the fact that you know we we're losing two seats in Scotland? Wales are losing eight seats, and this is to accommodate uh, seats in the southeast of England and ten new seats in in there. I think it's one of the many frustrations that we have with the way the electoral commission just form constituencies because they're based on population. London has more MPs than, than Scotland does. It feels outrageous and so outdated and just, you know, very un, a very unfair way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly think it's maybe just going to reinforce people's um, desire to get away from, from Westminster as if they're in Scotland. Well, well, for some bizarre reason, one of the places they decided that Scotland would lose a, a seat is here in the Highlands, where, uh, where I'm speaking to you uh, from just now. And, you know, we're, we're talking about constituencies that are already massive in terms of their geography. Um, when you when you look at the, um, you know, the, the, the Highlands around Inverness, very much a, a, a growing city, extraordinary uh, kind of growth in the city and uh, you know and and now the new constituencies are going to be even bigger um, than the ones that we've been managing up until now um, in, and taking one away from Glasgow as well where there's a lot of work it, it kind of sends a signal about Westminster's view of 
the the union and how expedient, in my view, how expedient uh, Scotland and indeed Wales they're getting they're getting even worse treatment than we are uh, than Wales are, and and you know there seems to be no uh, recognition of the the particular needs of Scotland or Wales uh, in this. I mean, the landmass of that constituency in the north is just going to be absolutely mm. incredible. It's going to be impossible, or it's not going to be impossible to represent. It's going to be really difficult mm. to represent it because, you know, for me, I live in a city. My constituency is in a city. I could go an office in the centre of town that pretty much everybody can get a bus to, right? They can get there on one bus, possibly two buses, but, you know, they can get there within an hour or so mm. um, on public transport at most. Right. Whereas if you're in that constituency, if you've only got one office, it's going to take people four hours to get there. You know, it's just I, I, I just don't know how it's going to be manageable. But I think you're right. I think this, you know, is about maybe actually it's the Tories saying we recognise that we've lost Scotland. <laughs> we recognise that we can't win in Scotland anymore. Well, they haven't um, since 1955. So it's probably no, exactly. a fair realisation. Yeah, yeah. Mm. but it, I think it's just going to add to that sense that Scotland doesn't get who it votes for. Mm. You know, we don't get who we vote for, and we haven't for decades. And, you know, it's just going to add further to that if they're going to continue to tip mm. that balance um, towards the kind of Tory shires, I think. Yeah, indeed. So, um, Amy, what for you, uh, in terms of your campaign, what's, uh, what's the next step um, when you go back? So I have applied for... <coughs> Um, a, a debate in the chamber through the Backbench Business Committee for after summer recess. I think it's really important that we're encouraging people to wear sunscreen in summer, but all year round as well, because there is that risk of being burnt um, mm-hmm. despite the, the sun not being shining. So I want to cast a particular light on it over the summer, the summer holidays, and then just make sure it's still in the forefront of people's minds when we come back from summer recess as well. Yeah, great. Well, I think we'll do what we can to um, heighten the awareness of the fact that this, uh, this is an important issue. And of course, it, you know, we, we're not uh, by any means out of the summer yet. We're not even on the parliamentary recess So when we're out and about in our constituencies. So hopefully the sun will shine again, but we need to be protected for it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Amy for uh, coming along today. And that is uh, the end of our Westminster Weekly Roundup. So um, goodbye from me. That's uh, Kirsty Blackman MP. Goodbye from me, Drew Hendry MP. Again, thanks to our guest, Amy Callahan uh, MP. There's other Westminster Roundups and there's lots more Scotland's Choice on the website. You can find us at scotlandschoice.scot or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. Thank you.